Well, good afternoon and welcome to Your DIY Health here on the Spreaker Radio Network. I'm your host, Sergeant Jim Ram, retired. You can call me Sarge. It is Thursday, February 16th, 2023. And uh, first and foremost, I'd like to thank everybody for the outpouring of concern and wondering and prayers and everything about the uh, uh, whether I'm doing okay up here in Ohio with the... Um, uh, train wreck in East Palestine, and yeah, everything's fine here. The The prevailing winds in Ohio blow southwest to northeast, so it's going from where I'm at towards uh, East Palestine and then blowing everything across the border into Pennsylvania, which kind of sucks for them. Uh, the EPA people here screw everything up, screw the pooch, and then it all blows into Pennsylvania where they got to deal with it. Um, so uh, direct your prayers towards those folks because there's a lot of death and destruction going on that the media will not report on. And, of course, the governmental authorities are saying, everything's fine. Y'all can go back and do just, you know, go back to living. But uh, animals are dropping dead. Fish are floating and uh, swimming upside down in the rivers and streams. And uh, there's no telling. I was telling the guys before the show started here that uh, about 300 and some or 30 million some people about 10 percent of the u.s population live in the ohio river valley uh, or areas connected to it and this stuff has the potential to get into the groundwater the river water and all kinds of things it could affect millions of people's lives all up and down the river and uh, not to mention where it blows uh, so yeah pray for all those folks and those, those those affected areas but uh, i do appreciate all the outpouring and the concern and everything uh, i'm doing fine here where i'm at my only concern is the groundwater i'm not sure whether the aquifer that uh, up in that area is connected to the one down here here that my well is drilled into but if it is i could have some problems down the road if that stuff makes it this far um but so far, everything's good, and thank goodness I run everything through a filter, so uh, we should be in good shape. Anyway, that being said, we're going to get on with things. we got Mike and Cal and DW and a full Jitsi board already, so um, I think uh, uh, the kind of sounds like DW got put in charge of the topic for today, and I think it sounds like federalism <laughs> versus uh, nationalism and that kind of stuff, which could <laughs> we could go in any direction you want there. So I'm going to just turn it over to you guys. Hope, hope you're all doing well, and uh, thanks for being here, and uh, take it away. Oh, well, thanks, Jim. And uh, I guess it's good afternoon to most everybody here. Uh, listen, uh, on, that, on that matter of that situation up in Ohio and the uh, EPAs and the government's assertions that everything is fine, just, just flash back to 2001 when uh, – two or three days after the 9-11 attack, the uh, same people, those being government government sorts, uh, said that the air quality in Manhattan was, was just fine. Oh, yeah. There you go. Exactly. Just fine. It's just, just fine. Yep. No problem whatsoever. And, of course, we, we just really don't have any idea of all the, the, the people that live there and the responders that uh, died or permanently disabled. And dying prematurely from uh, lung cancer and respiratory diseases so uh, just just keep trusting government and uh, you'll you'll have an early expiration date so uh, <clears throat> having said that well wait there was some there was some question as to what we were wanted to uh, converse on today and you know, we spent a lot of time, Mike and uh, Cal and I, and 
everybody. We spend a lot of time on history and, you know, particularly during the revolutionary uh, period after the revolutionary war, there, there was this thing called the constitutional convention. And, and out of that, they brought about federal federalism and, you know, I thought it would be interesting to sort of chew on that word a little bit today and uh, 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 the what of it. What is it? Why did they want it? Who wanted it? And why is it applicable to today? Well, what has it wrought? What has federalism wrought? What has it brought forth? What's What fruit has it produced? And so... Uh, uh, federalism. Uh, uh, so, since it's my topic, I guess I'll I'll uh, I'll make the first uh, declarative statements about it. It's a it brings about a, a political society. Yeah, it brings about a a process whereas you can contract and make treaties. In the in the world of of equity, uh, uh, internationally they do it by treaty. Uh, you can contract with private entities if you're a federal system. You can contract domestically if the people consent. A federal system is a central government system that derives power from itself and delegates outward from its center core. Uh, on that basis, I say that's why federalism was the basis of why they wanted that, that word and that structure. So they could build a central government that had empirical powers. And they could do it through contract and treaty. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> so the who or the federalists. <laughs> that's a pretty easy one there. The federalists and the ones that uh, proposed it, supported it and then profited from it. And what has it wrought? Well, it's wrought treaties, contracts, and uh, control. So, Mike, Cal, tell me where I'm wrong with any of this stuff, or give me, give me your on this, Mike. Yeah. DW, here I'll jump in. Um, federalism or federalists has been twisted just like the word liberal or someone who is liberal has been twisted. The radicals who pushed for a revolution, pushed for independence, they were liberals. They were the liberals of the day. Okay. Also back then, Patrick Henry, Samuel Bryant, Samuel Adams, they were the actual federalists. The anti-fed, the, the federalists 
attach that name to themselves, but they were actually nationalists slash monarchists. So the word federalist and federalism doesn't mean today what it meant to those people back then. It, 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 they've twisted the the meanings of the words federalism and con a, a feder a federation and a confederation are basically the same thing the states when they align themselves with the articles of confederation that was a federation the articles of confederation they conglomerated them together in a federation and a federation means that each entity of that federation has equal standing and equal sovereignty, as opposed to nationalism or a consolidated form of government, which those individual entities become vassals of another entity. They become vassals of the Fed, what called themselves the federal government. It's actually a national government. It's a consolidated national government. So there can be a lot of confusion when we're talking about a federal government and the national government, the government of today of the United States is a national, well, actually more of an imperial government anymore when you look around the world. It is nothing federal about it. When they passed the 17th Amendment, there is nothing federal left in this government at all. There is nothing federal about it. It's just as federal <laughs> as the Federal Reserve is federal. It, it's nothing. It's national. Am I right on that, Mike? Well, Would that be a proper interpretation? Well, Cal, they didn't pass the 17th Amendment. Uh, well, the you know what I mean. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> yeah. yeah the, the 17th Amendment was adopted by the government. Yeah. And, when uh, they got rid of the states choosing the senators, the legislature sending senators, anything that was federal is now gone. Well, that was the only thing, Cal, DW, and others, that was the only thing when the Constitution was completed, the only federal part of it was the selection of senators by the state legislature. Yes. There was nothing else in that government that was uh, federal but, in any way, shape, form, or fashion. Yeah. It, it's important to understand the difference between federalism and nationalism, and it lies in where the sovereignty is. Under federalism, under the confederation, the confederated states, or However, each state has equal sovereignty with each other. On a national government, there is an entity above each of those states, and it has a sovereignty. And that is what the Federalists, who misnamed themselves Federalists, they were actually nationalists. And, yeah, intentional. Oh, that was an intent to deceive. Where they were nationalists, and many of them were beyond nationalists. They were monarchists slash imperialists. They, they wanted an empire. They even said so in their letters, in their writings to each other. So they, like I say, they take the words, and as DW always says, words mean things, but they meant something different back then than what it means today. Because if you look up fertilism today, it says it's a combined compound mode of government. Well, that's, no, <laughs> that's nationalism. But Okay. Judging well, look, from I, old uh, school, yeah. I like I like this because uh, 
the the use of words as weapons to manipulate the perceptions of people has gone on for a long time. And the pretext, if uh, if, if the uh, state, the people in the states uh, were under the uh, original understanding of what federal was, they would have been much more uh, agreeable or potentially agreeable or uh, uh, sympathetic to a, a federal uh, stated uh, form of government if it, if it was uh, consistent with what the older uh, original intent of what federal was supposed to be. Uh, and and I, this is why I think it's so important uh, I propose that the the uh, uh, federal monarchist nationalists were uh, playing semantic word games from the very beginning with that intent uh, to pervert, corrupt, and distort the uh, what federalism really is. Uh, an interesting distinction between the Confederate uh, uh, Constitution and the federal constitution is that uh, they are distinctly different in that the Confederate constitution and its relationship between the states and this Congress assembled in this body, uh, this uh, delegated authorities of this uh, United States was a completely different relationship after it became federal. So uh, whether the intent was, uh, and I say the intent was to obfuscate and use semantics to gain central power, uh, <clears throat> there's, a, there's a radical difference between the Confederate and the federal as it was put into effect going forward to make law and to justify things. Uh, so by virtue of the, the, the fact that how they applied their federalism, it's radically different than Confederate. Okay. Federalism as it was uh, expressed was radically different than the Articles of Confederation. They're very different in, 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 a, in at the end of the day. Uh, Mike, Cal. That's true. They 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 did this intentionally. The thirteen states okay. that aligned themselves under the Articles of Confederation that was a federal that was a federal form of government. The states each had an equal vote with each other, one vote, one state, and they controlled the Congress assembled. They were the authority. That's what a federal government does. Is each one member control if they get together and decide something, they're controlling it, not whatever got together. And they now control the states, and that's what happened. It, the The control went from the states to a central body, and when you do that, so, you've lost so, federation. You've become national. You've become consolidated. And the anti-federalists are trying to yeah. point this out to people. So, so in the in the Confederacy, the Articles of Confederation, uh, which actually did represent Republican principles, uh, 
by virtue of the 13th Amendment in the Articles of Confederation, you had to have unit unanimous decisions as applied to Congress assembled, which is actually what would be really democracy. That would be real democracy because it took 100 percent participation and agreement. That's actually what democracy would be. That's known as Not, consent of the governed. <laughs> that is that has been so distorted that uh, well, democracy is a meaningless term unless you define the terms. Okay, so democracy is that fifty-one percent, or is that seventy percent, or is that eighty percent? Well, I say it means it ha would have to mean a hundred percent, just as the Articles of Confederation. Uh, uh, based their validity on, and you, I, I appreciate you saying that. That is consent. Of, that is consent of government, right? There. When everybody agrees, how how can you disagree? But everybody has to, <laughs> right? Okay, Mike. Jump. Well, here, uh, uh, you guys are interfering with my wanding time here, but uh, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> here is. Uh, I was actually wanting when we started here, but uh, uh, the um, deal is, in so many people, they just can't seem to understand this. And I realize it's a play of words in so many instances, but I would ask everyone in the group, would you be concerned if someone you didn't know took authority over your life? And if that would concern you, then how the dickens can you like the Constitution? Because that's exactly what happened. The people who were at that convention in Philadelphia, the population of this country, some 9 million people, probably, what, maybe 100 had ever met these people personally? Or more? In Philadelphia, probably more, because all of them were from, from Philadelphia. But these people assumed powers over the public that they didn't have. No one granted them the authority to go to Philadelphia and write a new constitution. They were given specific instructions, which they threw out the window on the first day. So they assumed powers. Then not only did they assume powers there, but look at the preamble to the constitution. Those three famous words, we the people. We the people had nothing to do with the Constitution. The we the people who wrote the Constitution were we the few lawyers and the wealthy who decided we're going to control your lives from here on out and here's how we're going to do it. That was the whole essence of the preamble. And if I may jump in here for just a second not take too much time, but yesterday my friend D.W. here tasked me with a future endeavor. And that has been on my mind. I, I even had problems sleeping last night because I was trying to figure out how to do this. And something I wanted to do years back was to dissect the Constitution, take it completely apart, every article, every section, every clause, to take it apart and show what the people of that day thought about each and every one of them. To expose the lies the Federalists uh, 
proposed and to and said that this is what kind of government you're going to have and then to emphasize the anti-federalists who were telling the people no they're lying that's not what they're going to do that's not what they intend to do well dw told me that years ago i thought about writing this all up and putting it in a paper but it wouldn't be a paper it'd be a book and then i realized it wouldn't be a book it would be volumes of books and then i realized it would probably take me a year to do that so yesterday my good buddy dw hit me right between the horns and he said well, why don't you do it audibly in podcast take each one and do a podcast on each one well darn you dw I thought about that. I thought about it. I thought about it. I talked with some friends about it. I talked with others. What do you think about this? Would it even matter? Would people even listen? Well, we don't know, but I think we've graduated from the, uh, you know, the uh, 1984 to, uh, you know, to Huxley's book, because in 1984, they said they had to destroy the books to keep the people from reading them. And in uh, Huxley's work, uh, he said that uh, no need to destroy the books. People don't read them anyway. And I think that's right, because I read a statistic the other day on how many people have never read a book in this country. It's alarming. So I thought real soon that if I tried to do this in writing and put it into book form, uh, possibly, you know, eight or ten people might read it from start to finish because it will be lengthy. So DW, you done hammered me, buddy. So I started this morning on putting together podcast number one on the preamble. Hmm. And I'm going to use that for a test run. And I'm going to use this group, Jim, I'm going to send it to you. If that's okay, sir, Definitely. I'm going to send it to you. And once it's finished and let's get a critique from the people in our group and see if they think this is something I should pursue all the way through Article 7. Sounds like a plan. So, DW, it's your fault. Yeah. Well, I, I'll, I'll take the blame for that. Uh, I, have a, I have a request uh, of the group here. Uh, we'll sort of open this up to open source uh, uh, problem solving. Uh, my idea when I was talking with Mike yesterday was, uh, you know, this is Mike has to he there's only a very few people that could probably even attempt to do what Mike's talking about. And as far as I know, Mike's the only one that, as far as I know, that actually could credibly do it. Uh, and the amount of time that it would take to write that all out uh, would take away from, you know, everything else in Mike's life and, uh, you know, even doing things like this today. And not to mention his own, you know, personal family life. Yes, he has one. And, you know, and to be respectful of that. So my, my question, was, my, my thinking was, well, if we can get Mike to, if Mike would narrate it, then, and put it in linear sequential order, then uh, this is where I'm opening up to the rest of the group, is 
I know that somewhere out there, there is a legitimate, efficient way to take narration and transcribe it with software. And if anybody has the, a, a better technical background on, on this than I do, uh, we could take, we would have the advantage of having, you know, the, uh, the narration, the storytelling of Mike, and then uh, we could uh, have it transcribed each section transcribed which would actually then end up making its own book. Mike, Mike can actually narrate it and we could transcribe it into the printed word. And uh, if anybody would be interested in helping locate or knows of this sort of software, uh, I would, I, I'm just personally committing right now. I would participate in the, uh, you know, funding that and, uh, uh making trying to make that work so i'm just throwing that out there to the group uh you know if uh, people would, would help look for that what do you think cal oh i'm totally on board with that dw well guys if i may financially and physically in any way possible well guys let me throw out my proposed plan and and i i need input here from all of you everyone in this group is just as important as i am and that, that is, I sincerely mean that. And here's something that I would, how I would like to approach this. I want to take, like last night and this morning, I was working on the preamble presentation because I want to get it all together before I sit down and start recording. And here is what I want, want to do. I want to take like the preamble to the Constitution to take that and then explain to the people how we came about that preamble about all of the machinations that happened during the uh, constitutional convention including the committee of style and arrangement and so many other things that make it so relevant but the way i want to do that is i want to take all of the written source documents that i can find and last night and this morning i found about 20 original source documents just on the preamble and so within that work of putting it into a podcast i will read from some of those documents stipulate what the document is and its origin so input anyone uh, have any input on that uh, it it's early, but we're opening the door to anybody to comment. So go ahead. Sounds like a juicy thing to be reading. <laughs> um, <laughs> I have a suggestion on where you might find this software, Daryl. You know, this is what the hmm. legal secretaries used to do in the legal offices is take commentary over the phone and stuff like that and do the transcription. So I would assume that that would be a place to look for software like that. Well, well noted. <laughs> I uh, just as a tangent on that topic, uh, you know, uh, Mr. Alan Watt produced uh, literally thousands of one-hour-long audio shows, and all of his work has been transcribed 
almost all of it. And um, so that, in fact, is what I'm proposing, is to have the audio files and the transcriptions. And uh, so we'll, uh, well, what did, what did Chief Joseph say? We will endeavor to persevere. <laughs> okay. So. Uh, he also uh, said, anyway. I will fight no more forever. Yeah. And, uh, and then they did their ghost dance. Yes. I, I had a friend who was a typist. She could do, I think, 140 words a minute and, uh, it was easiest for her to do it off of a tape and not have to read it. Mm -hmm. Well, that's enlightening. Well, uh, is, she, is she available? <laughs> Does she work for, for coffee and donuts? What She's a real old girlfriend that, that uh, <laughs> I mean, she used to read a book a day, too, and she... Uh, Okay. She turned into the flaming liberal from hell, so I don't think she's a candidate. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, purple hair doesn't need not apply. So, uh, anyway, you're being uh, prejudiced. So, well, let's, let's, I I know, but remember, I'm I'm intolerant, judgmental, and uncompromising. So, DW, uh, just remember that. Yeah. When you get a chance, look up Dragon Speak software. There is dragon software. Speak. Dragon, yeah, it's dragon. Dragon naturally speaking. I googled dragon nat dragon speak software. It comes up dragon natural speaking. Well, listen, they do have software out mind, there that does that. <laughs> yeah, if you don't mind, if you find so, if anybody finds something like that, just send me a link. Okay, Got it. and I'll 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 bring them all together. You know, consolidate them all and look at them. And then we can talk about it going forward as we, this is just like a group effort. I love this. This is uh, open source thinking, participation, and problem solving. And uh, with, with uh, where we're actually not just fighting against something, we're actually working towards and building something. You know, I get so tired of just always fighting against something. Well, well, I like building things. Well, so this is, this is sort of like uh, building something and whether or not, whether or not somebody reads all this or listens to it all next year, you know, this is for posterity too. There's, I'm reading books now. I, I know we're off track. Okay. <laughs> and I'm off track, but just yesterday I got in the mail, another one of my books that came from all the way from India. It's published in uh, 1911 and it's on the run up towards the uh, federal reserve act. And it was written by a uh, Alfred Owen Crozier. It's called U.S. Money versus Corporation Currency, the Aldrich Plan. And this guy's writing this in 1911. So, uh, you know, and here I am, you know, over 100 years later, and I'm reading this book. Well, I know there's people in our posterity that will take the information and the history and the context and the reference and the notes and the footnotes and they will treasure it beyond what we could ever imagine you know so uh that's just uh it, it's <clears throat> there's nobody here making money on any of this this is selfless this is this is charity for our posterity uh, that rhymed well wow. 
<clears throat> so anyway, shall we go back to federalism there, there for are, a minute? I can do that and something else if you don't mind. Um, oh, sure. This is a, a comment from Stamper, and this sentence is right above the stuff that I wanted you to read and comment on and see if Stamper's right about it. I find that quite weird, but here's the sentence. Communism is nothing more than another name for federalism. It is basically a system that controls many nations centrally with the aim of commercialism. Accordingly, if one investigates, all ten planks of the Communist Manifesto are applied in American law. <laughs> That's it. Well, can I comment yeah. on that? Yeah. Yeah, please. Yeah. Okay. Well, here's the thing. I think people... And we touched on that earlier here, but I don't think people really understand true federalism as was espoused in the Articles of Confederation and the federalism that most people think is democracy, just majority rule, because we have read about the tyranny of the majority and we, we experience that in this country every day or every election, at least that, the tyranny of the majority. So, but true federalism means that everyone agrees. Now, we could do that on a state level. I think there would be enough input to do it on a state level. But if we do not have some form of federalism that requires 100% compliance, now I'll never forget, years ago, when I was volunteering as much time as I could in South Georgia, being a uh, substitute teacher. And I even volunteered to teach full-time at no charge. But I was teaching history. Now, guys, this is almost 30 years ago now. But I was teaching history and watching, even the principal and other people came and said, I have never seen these students become more involved. And that was because I didn't teach to them. We discussed things, and I threw out questions. But I'll never forget the day I had, as they all sat down, I had counted the students in my classroom. It was at Ware County High School in Waycross, Georgia. And I had counted the students, and I knew how many males and how many females. And one of my first questions to the group was, how many of you people believe in democracy and think that's the kind of government we should have? Well, every hand in the room went up. And I said, really? I said, you do realize that democracy is majority rule, 51%. Oh, yes, yes, we understand that. And I said, well, okay. Prior to the class starting today, I counted all the students in here. We've got 16 boys and 13 girls. So what if all of the boys vote to rape the girls at their whim and at their whatever? Now, that is democracy. Is that what you want? To have seen the look on the face of those students, both male and female, because suddenly there was a thought in their head they had never considered before. And they sure, sure as the Dickens hadn't been taught it at that school. I can promise you that. So no one, as today we say, as I brought up that question about assuming authority over your lives, 
that is democracy. That is why that uh, Marx uh, and Engels said that democracy was the first step toward communism. So federalism then is the first step towards communism if it doesn't have the complete consent of the governed. Now, one other thing, let me throw that in here while, while I'm yapping. And that is this, working on this first one, this uh, preamble is my pilot. It's going to give me an idea of how many hours it's going to take to go over each one of these subjects and to find the source documents that relate to it in my own search and to put it together. And then when I finish with the first one, folks, I'm going to be able to tell you whether it's at all possible that I could do the whole thing. Because thank you, DW, for mentioning the fact that, you know, I do have a life from time to time. And so I want to get this done. I want to get it out there, if at all possible. But that's just kind of it, guys. I am open to suggestions. I truly want to do this. I am open to suggestions. And I don't know any place I can find them any better than this group. So thank you for letting me blab on there. Oh, uh, blabbing, blabbing is requirement here. You have to, to be here. You have to be a blabber. And so, so we, we encourage blabbing. Uh, so I, I want to go back to what Cal and you, you were just talking about, um, with your students and this idea of federalism and democracy. Here's a question for everybody here. Uh, are we, or are, well, you, first you can apply it to yourself. Are you more interested, preferential to individual rights? Is that your priority? Is that the object, objective? Or do you want group rights? So here's a question that comes out of that. If everybody, that means 100%, is accountable to the objective of individual rights, if everybody is an individual, at that point, do you even have a group? Is if, if we have a group, a set, then by nature of that word and its definition, its actual definition, a group as a set, it would be outside of another group. So groups and special group rights or privileges, benefits and immunities are at the expense of individuals. So I'm just throwing this out here because I, I'm not sure people have thought about this too much. They talk about individual rights, but then they participate in a, as a group. And then the group takes authority over people outside of its group to enforce uh, their interpretation of 
almost everything, as we're witnessing right now. Uh, this is what group rights has wrought. And they just keep breaking more and more people into smaller and smaller groups, if, if you had noticed. So what, what I say you guys, uh, does, does uh, federalism, as, we, as we're seeing it, as we're seeing it, I, actually, uh, uh, Samuel, I'm, I'm openly uh, stating this out in the open, unequivocating. I, I have to be pretty much in agreement. I'm on board with Mel Stamper's interpretation of how federalism has been applied. Regardless of what its original definition might have been, as it's been applied, I say it is it is a uh, a stalking horse for communism, and it, it it applies to group rights instead of versus the individual responsibilities. So yeah, and, and, Cal, and Mike, want, everybody, yeah. If you, if you want to get it right, like Michael wants, then you have to have that opportunity, unfortunately, to educate everybody you want to, which is where they own the schools, and that makes it tough. Plank 10 of the Communist Manifesto was put there for a reason. And folks, uh, and what was it? Was it Marx who said, give me your... Uh, uh, give me your young for four years or something like that. And, and I will own them forever. Something to that. That's not an exact quote, but here is something I want everyone to think about. True federalism means no government. Now, what, what do you, what do you mean by no government? If we did it on an individual basis, there would be no government because there's no way in the Dickens, you will get 330 million people to agree on anything. So federalism implemented would have to be done on a state level, but still that goes back to a majority, the majority within that state. So in effect, true federalism is zero government. Comments? Yeah, Michael, there's that argument. Is anarchy truly left or right of a Republican form of government? Neither. I don't believe I don't believe it's either. Anarchy has been written and just absolutely destroyed by the wrong definition of the word anarchy. I agree. Anarchy means without rulers, without governors. And so in that we would have to then rely on the supreme governor of the world, world. as was mentioned. And therefore but there is, governments are always going to do what governments do. That's like the. People, they think it's still a pet. It the same way. Government may look good in the beginning. You may go, oh, look at this. Isn't this going to be great? We can control my neighbor. We can stop my neighbor from doing this. If I can just impose this government, well, what you have there is people wanting to, and that's why I've said, never trust a politician because all politicians want to tell you what to do and they want the power of government to force you to do it. Thoughts? 
Yeah, they promise things they can't deliver, and all they create is anarchy that is chaos in the, in the form of the word. Well, yeah, yeah. They they promise things they can't deliver, and they deliver things they didn't promise. Yeah, about that. They promise things they uh, never intended to deliver. No. Well, so under the Articles of Confederation, those uh, those 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 politicians that did that were subject to immediate irrevocable recall. Immediate. Get get back here. Well, D.W., uh, I got to throw this out because doing my research for your uh, suggestion, I was going through the uh, source documents I had on the uh, South Carolina Ratification Convention. And I found something very unusual there. And I had read it many times, and I'm sure it just went over my head. We know how that is, whether we're reading the Bible or other stuff. Sometimes things just jump out at you that you've probably read before, but now it has meaning. But Charles Pinckney stood up and said, the reason we created this new constitution in Philadelphia is to give the people of our state the opportunity to pay taxes. The opportunity, huh? <laughs> yes, that's exactly what he said. <laughs> Thank you, Charles Pinkney. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, listen, listen. That that explain. You just answered a question I've I've always had since I when I moved to Alabama. Uh, I moved to Alabama uh, twelve years ago, and at the time I had a couple little LLCs, and I've found out that if you're in Alabama, you have something called a privilege tax. <laughs> I was privileged. And they, so they must have been, whoever came up with that, Mike, must have been reading Mr. Pinckney. So now that explains it. Yeah, privilege. Yeah, sort of. Well, like that, that one just, that one blew my mind. How do you, you know, how do people not, <laughs> that these people went there to create a government to allow you to pay taxes. There's no allowing anywhere in Article 1, Section 8, Clause 1. But Mike, what he should have said is, you have the privilege to pay my salary. Well, that was what he was saying, but he was disguising it quite a bit. And, yes, it, the more I get into these, and DW, i got to just thank you for asking me to do this, because now I'm going back and doing all this research again. And I'm finding all these neat things like that where, you know, Pinckney says, well, we got to have government. Otherwise, you people won't be able to pay taxes. It's incredible. Yeah, that was, you know, yeah, I mean, you know, listen, uh, <clears throat> according to the, the current uh, newspaper records during that time, people were really worried they weren't paying enough taxes. It was a, <laughs> lot, of, a lot of concern. And uh, yeah, Daniel uh, Chase was one of them up in Massachusetts. Right, Daniel Shea, and uh, out in Western Pennsylvania, they were yeah. mm -hmm. they were really concerned about that. So, yeah. Uh, listen, um, the uh, one of the one of the pre prerequisite pre qualifications for being uh, a political pimp is that you must uh, be well versed and fluent at equivocation and semantics. Uh, and, liars, uh, liars, yeah. Yeah. 
uh, and uh, so <laughs> you know uh, not, nothing's changed here it's just just become progressively worse progressively worse progressively so uh, well I don't know I I think that we've uh, we've uh, we've had a uh, we've had an interesting conversation on federalism what what we thought it was what it was originally meant to be how somebody uh, co-opted that word and used it as a uh, perception management tool, a psychological, a branding, a misdirection of intent versus application. Uh, and so it's a much more interesting word than, than many people have. Uh, I don't think federalism has been given its due. I think we've, we've done a little bit of that here in the first 50 minutes. And, uh, so, uh, I appreciate that. Uh, I think there's a lot more to be said about it. Uh, partly because, uh, the, the treaty powers that are associated that came out of that constitution has allowed that, that central government to contract, make treaty and contract with other private entities that have become your parallel government and uh, like the WHO and the CDC and the United Nations and well, delegating they, oh, I'm sorry. To them that they don't have the authority to do. I mean, I, I'll, I'll, I'll tie that up and then, and then, and then rebut me. Uh, the treaty powers allow them to delegate authorities, make commitments and contracts to, uh, either nations, people, private entities, banks, or organ non-governmental organizations that they don't have the authority to do. And that's the danger. So, Well, DW, to contrast that, let me make this statement, and this will further illustrate what this government is, is that during the course, and I did the research on this a couple of days ago for another podcast, my Whistling Dixie podcast, but during the term of this government, they have created and signed over 500 treaties with the American Indian. They've never honored a darn one of them. Not one. Not one out of 500 have they ever honored. Mm -hmm. So what does that tell us about the government and treaties? That it, may, it makes no difference what treaty they have or anything else. They're going to do whatever the heck they want to. They Nothing written on so, paper yeah, they, makes any difference. Yeah. So at their discretion, they can be bound by a treaty or not bound by a treaty, a treaty, depending upon what their agenda at any one given time is. Uh, so they're not bound by treaties that they made with American Indians, but at the same time, they are bound by treaties that they make with the United Nations and the World Health Organization. I see. I see. Only if they decide <laughs> to do so. I was going to say, only uh, if they choose to abide by that treaty. <laughs> only if it's necessary and proper according to national security. Exactly. Is that okay? All right. So this is this is art. This is ruled through uh, arbitrary decision making. Rule rule through our. 
This sounds like something a, a king would do. A monarchy. That's that's what that sounds like to me. They were probably better. They probably kept their word better. Don't you suppose? So, yeah. Uh, um, well, the monarchy, if things well, go really south, the people have a place to focus their ire and, and angst against. Mm. You take this oligarchy you have now, who are you going to blame? Who's to blame for this mess? Well, you know, say the Republicans, the Democrats, the people, the politicians, the enforcers of the tyranny. Who's to blame for this mess? Glory yeah. the monarchy. You just blame the king and get rid of the king and then see what happens. Well, we've had some really good conversations about this. And we're coming up to the top of the hour here. And Cal and 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 uh, Samuel and and Mike, you you've opened up a little can of worms here where I think I can read something here for a minute. And uh, it's uh, out of this this little book called uh, Tragedy and Hope, written by uh, Georgetown professor Carol Quigley. And you'll find if you have your own copy, I'll I'll give you time to find it. No, Jenny. <laughs> Uh, on page uh, 1247, 1247, that page, the last paragraph, it says, uh, here's the quote from that, Mr. Carol Quigley says, the chief problem of American political life for a long time has been how to make the two congressional parties more national and international. The argument that the two parties should represent opposed ideals and policies one perhaps of the right and the other of the left, is a foolish idea acceptable only to the doctrinaire and academic thinkers. Uh, I would also include that, Bubis Americanus. Instead, the two parties should be almost identical so that the American people can throw the rascals out at any election without leading to any profound or extensive shifts in policy. The policies are vital and necessary for America, are no longer subjects of significant disagreement, but are, are uh, disputable only in details of procedure, priority, or method. We must remain strong, continue to function as a great world power in cooperation with the other powers, avoid high-level war, keep the economy moving without significant slump, help other countries do the same, provide the basic social necessities for all of our citizens, social necessities, open up opportunities and social shifts for those willing to work and achieve them, and defend the basic Western outlook of diversity, pluralism, cooperation, homosexuality. No, I'm just kidding. I added that. And the rest of uh, it already described. Um, these things any national American party hoping to win a presidential election must accept. So, uh, Carol Quigley writes this in the in the '60s, early '60s. Okay, uh, I think he nails it pretty good. I uh, I think he described it pretty good. Well, D.W. To get back to that educational and plank ten of the Communist Manifesto, when uh, uh, Mr. John D. Rockefeller created his educational board in 1909, I believe he made it very plain and very simple. 
he did not want an education system which produced thinkers. He wanted an education system which produced workers. Simply stated. Yeah. And what's great about that is that over 100 years later now, uh, they don't need workers so much. And uh, they need enforcers. What we have. Yeah. Uh, so what people are finding now uh, is that you're redundant. You become redundant. And at a point where you become redundant, you are irrelevant to them. You become irrelevant to them. You are just an expense. Because they don't need you. Useless eater. Yeah, you're you you. Uh, what what did what did Hillary call him? <laughs> what what was that word she used, guys? She called him uh, incorrigibles or no? The uh, oh, anyway, I got deplorables. I got balloons on the mind. The, yeah, deplorables. What was it? deplorables? Yeah, yeah. Well, I have all this. Uh, this buffoonery of balloonacy on my mind here. So thank you. Uh, I was thinking dirigibles, but uh, <clears throat> so yeah, um, I know we, we, it's easy to get off topic here, but uh, I, I think we, I think we're just doing a uh, having a good conversation on the contradictions associated with what uh, we thought words meant, and then how they've been applied, and. Uh, uh, I think it's always good to go back and re-examine what words mean, uh, because if we don't, if we don't, if we can't challenge them on what they mean, at least in our own mind, then we are susceptible. We've we've been conquered. If we accept their definitions w without exception to what we're told they mean and apply, you're conquered. You're off the you're off the table. You can't even defend yourself. So anyway. We're at the top of the hour, aren't we? I like the chimes. Who's got the wind chimes going? <laughs> Guess. Okay. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna say we open this up to everybody. So, uh, any anybody have uh, any have anybody have any ideas on uh, any of this? So. Or not? I have a comment. Yeah, Can Liz. you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Mike, I loved what you said about the classroom and the kids when you asked them a question about uh, with the with the with the um, democracy and and everything. And when you inter when Automatically, we've been trained to think that democracy is a good thing and that we will only get good things from it. But what you threw into the mix was the bad things that can come from it. And I don't think, well, first of all, I don't think kids think anymore anyway, but 
we don't think enough about the bad things that can come from this whole uh, idea of uh, just think about mob rule. I mean, if you don't have something to enforce what you're trying to do, whether it's good or, or bad, uh, you're not going to get the, uh, maybe not going to get the results that you want. It, it's usually the stronger that's going to win out. Just my thought. Well, you're right on in my opinion, uh, Liz. And here's the point is that, and I, I've made this, been making this point for 30 years. The wealthy and the well-born really don't give a darn what you call your government. You can call it a democracy. You can call it a republic. You can call it, uh, you know, fascism, communism, socialism, Catholicism. You can call it anything you, any ism you want to call it. Because the people with the money will control it. No matter what you name it, no matter what rules you put into it, they will ignore them. Because there is no means of the common person to enforce the rules that are adopted by the wealthy and the well-born. You can't do it. You, we as a collection, collective number of people don't have enough money to go out and buy our own politicians. They do. So the point of it is, is you have to have a system where in fact... Everyone is equal because there is no equality. I mean, equally speaking, no one is born equal. That is a fallacy. If we could, I could play basketball like Michael Jordan. But that's beside the point of the fact that we need to actually have some form. And the best way to reach that is rightful liberty where people govern themselves. Now, how did this country survive for 150 years before somebody decided they needed a constitution. Now, I'm sure there were bad people. There were bad people all the time. How were they dealt with? How were the problems of a community dealt with? Well, that's a good study. Go ahead. Someone else wants to comment? I think you would have to have a very good moral uh you know, uh, boundary for that. Like they had the churches and they had a, a, a group of uh, deacons, let's say, or, or people to help um, control that lesser, you know, the, the uh, doctrine of man and how they are. Uh, so Again, it, it was a little more, well, first of all, you had less people. You had a smaller uh, group of people that you were controlling. It wasn't like what we have now. But there has to be a more, some kind of a moral compass. If you just have all kinds of ideas, if, I mean, you get 10 people in a room and you get 10, 10 ideas, uh, you know, so just a thought. Has to start with the family well, and the father. They have to be close to God. That's why they taught reading. So, for us, anyway, that's why they taught reading in this country. So people could read the Bible and live by it. 
Well, that's good. Those are all really good points, and uh, it addresses a an important period of time uh, between uh, 1620 and uh, 1776. At that period of time, uh, in uh, from an, from an anthropology point of view, the study of people uh, between 1620 and 1776 is a uh, dark hole. It's a void uh, in most people's minds. Uh, what you had was you had chartered colonies, which were commercial. Uh, uh, you had monarchical colonies, which were of the authority of the king. Um, and then you had self-rule. And in 1625, uh, James makes it a decree uh, most people have not heard of, uh, stating that the, the people of America, his subjects, were free to make the laws and live their lives with the enterprise uh, to the best of their resources and make their own laws and be f uh, relatively free as long as those actions did not, uh, I'm paraphrasing this now, did not contravene <clears throat> or uh, contradict his authority. He does this in 1625. So between this period, between 1625 and up to 1776, these are, these are Englishmen living in America, and they're under common law. And the communities are organized in Burgesses, Burgesses, Burges. And you had local civil governments. Uh, you had the political local political authorities in the House of Burgesses. Uh, and you have people called Burgers. <laughs> and, and this goes back into old English history. <clears throat> you didn't have municipal corporations, put it to you that way. And as the country grew, Liz, and the population increased, uh, this is a pretty big span at the time, actually, between 1625 and 1776. As the population grew and expanded, and uh, with all that's involved in that, uh, Christianity or moral code uh, based with uh, the, the tenets of Christianity, to use that word, uh, were fictional uh, for the majority of the people throughout all those communities. And so they did have a foundation in the Bible and they had preachers and pastors and deacons who, you know, uh, were at the, <clears throat> at the base of that society. And were there problems? Oh yeah, there were a lot of problems, but uh, the inherent, the inherent operating code uh, was was founded on those biblical principles. Uh, I, I think I've studied it enough to say that uh, uh, on to be on solid ground. Of course, there, there was always bad actors. There was always politicians associated with that. Uh, 
but they they were to some degree kept in check to some degree uh, and the and the and the law as it applied there was contract law then too that applied to the merchants and when they entered into contracts but for the common man and woman they were all under english english common law so the bible was the, the number one reading material of this period of time that I just talked about for the majority of the population. And after Blackstone's commentaries came out, that was the second most popular, second most popular uh, book that was read in the, uh, the colonies. So the Bible and common law were their two favorite topics, uh, or two publications anyway. So uh, go ahead, anybody. Yeah, yeah. It, when it comes to education, uh, one of my favorite examples, and this brings us current, you know, I mean, it's John uh, Taylor Gatto. He was born in, in southeast Pennsylvania. I think it's still the smallest town in the whole state today. And, and the education system didn't get to John and his community. And he, uh, he, he said that by, he was 35, so by the time he's in eighth grade, he says they're reading classics in Latin. And he's a natural teacher and wants to move on to be a teacher. He ends up in New York City, and then he's like, Oh wow! I'm in the big time now. I can really teach, and he realized the system that he didn't get taught under was just crazy. And he he wrote a thesis uh, called "The Dumbing Down of America," and these are some of the points in, in it. He says, um, "I won't read all of it. I'll just give you highlights." Uh, one, it confesses the students. It confuses the students in. In, in presence, an, an incoherent assembly of information that the child needs to memorize to stay in school. Two, it teaches them to accept their class affiliation. Three, it makes them indifferent. Four, it makes them emotionally dependent. Five, it makes them intellectually dependent. Six, it teaches them a kind of self-confidence that requires constant confirmation by experts, provisional self-esteem. Seven, it makes it clear to them that they cannot hide because they are always supervised. That's his thesis in that book. And what he saw from where he was educated to New York City, where he became teacher of the year, I don't know how many times, but anyway. Yeah, that was the Prussian system that was brought in. And the word I was shooting for was vociferously. <laughs> well, I, I like that word. <clears throat> so, <laughs> yeah, John Taylor Gatto. Uh, how did he get to be teacher of the year in, in New York City? I, who would have voted for him there? Uh, the students? Uh, yes, he was very popular so, with the students. Yeah, kind of like Mike's students. They, Mike was popular with his students. Uh, and because uh, you're interacting and discovering with them, participating with them, and uh, not, uh, you know, 
high-hatting, high-horsing, uh, speaking from on high. Uh, and uh, so anyway, uh, I enjoyed this conversation. You know what? We hear all the time about democracy being two wolves deciding what's for dinner or two wolves and a sheep deciding what's for dinner. And it's kind of humorous. And But what Mike did say, okay, there's more boys so they get their way you know, really brings it home to what their way might be, you know? So it makes children really listen. Okay, this is individual. I see how this works. What's going on here, you know? It's important. Yeah. I think also what Mike was doing was teaching the kids how to think, not how to memorize. Exactly. And that's that's what's been missing. I know I have a, a two friends of mine that have both been both teachers, had been teachers, and that was the main thing. They were math teachers, so what they were trying to do is for peeps, the kids, to reason on how to figure out this problem, not take a times table and memorize it. Because I'll tell you, I don't remember my times table. <laughs> I have no clue. But that's where things have really, the dumbing down of America has completely uh, won as far as that goes. The other thing that the kids are more concerned about is who's wearing what and how, what kind of uh, uh, web page do you have? And, you know, they're not interested in learning and, and, and they don't. I mean, you have you have these well, people that go around and ask these people questions, like, uh, "What's the uh, capital of Virginia?" or what? You know, and they have no clue. They have no clue. Well, guys, if I may, uh, I also when we moved to Tucson, Arizona, I was still very much wanting to become involved in teaching young people. And so I went to, I looked at the schools. This was after uh, Columbine. And every high school in Tucson looked like a prison. They had put up fences. They had all of this stuff after Columbine. And everything looked like a prison. Well, a good friend of mine told me, said, well, you know, if you really want to teach, you ought to go out and check with the folks at Desert Christian High School. And I didn't even know there was such a place. So, But I immediately, as soon as I could, I went out and asked to talk to the principal. And um, I, I spent some time talking with the assistant principal first. Very nice guy. And we ended up talking. And then he said, so what you're telling me is that you will come in and you will teach history classes at no charge. And I said, yes, sir. That's what I'm saying. And he said, well, why, why do you want to do that? And I said, because knowledge is more important than money. And so then he said, okay, well, let me set up a meeting. So then we had the principal, the vice principal, and the head of the school board. And so they came in. And the thing I will tell you about Desert Christian High School was the only high school in Tucson that didn't look like a prison. It was the only high school where the kids could come and go as they wished if they had an appointment or something, they just left. They didn't have to clear it within. They told people where they were going so there wouldn't be any concern. Uh, there were, you know, we actually had a class one day of where the students brought in antique firearms 
so we could do a class on antique firearms. But when I first started, the uh, head of the school board said, well, if you don't mind telling me, Mr. Gaddy, what school book are you going to use? And I said, none. And she said, what do you mean, none? And I said, I don't use books. I use original source documents for teaching. Oh, well, well, but, you know, the schools have books. And I said, yes, they have indoctrination books, which they study. But if you and then if you get the kids involved, people that was in 1996, I still have adult students from those classes who contact me periodically, either by email or by phone. I'm surprised they actually let you in when you said <laughs> you just use source documents and not a book. Well, they weren't real happy with it, Jim. But the the point of it was, and, and the one thing I will never forget as long as I live, was standing in a classroom one day, the history, U.S. history classroom, and I asked the group, I said, why do your parents send you to this school and pay a pretty good price for you to go to this school intuition when you could go to public school for free now i wanted to ask the students not their parents i wanted to ask the students if they knew why and i'll never forget this beautiful young black lady she said well may i tell you my story and i said please do and she said well we moved here from california my dad is an engineer with rockwell and my mother is an irs attorney and she said we moved to tucson and she said, I enrolled in Tucson High School. She said, well, after about three months or whatever it was, she said, I was inducted into the National Honor Society. And she said, suddenly I found out that my black friends wanted nothing to do with me anymore. And she said, so I went to one of them and I said, what did I do? What did I do that you don't like? And she said that her friend looked at her and said, you trying to be white. She said, I went home and told my mom and dad what had happened, and my mom and dad said, you don't go back there ever again. And they took her to Desert Christian High School and got her in at that time. And let me tell you, folks, even in the 90s, the tuition there was not cheap. I yield to whoever has another comment or question. Michael, I, uh, I, I caught this out of what you just said. Um, you said you used original source documents for them to study, and the school is giving them indoctrination books to memorize. Yep, that was, in essence, where we ended up there. Uh, and I had, uh, I would end up, because, you know, Tucson, the weather is usually pretty amiable most of the time, but... Uh, you know, and we actually had picnic tables outside where people could eat their lunch. And uh, we, I would go to a picnic table, and the principal came to me, and he said, every day you go out to the picnic table, he said, within just a few minutes, I've noticed it, within just a few minutes, you've got students all around you. Why? Eager to learn. They do want to learn. They do want to know this stuff, but we have destroyed that in, in our young people. Have uh, are any of you yeah, aware? Yeah. Uh, any anyone aware of the only person in 
uh, history to ever score a perfect score on the SAT? No. Did you realize they never darkened the door of a public school? Scored a perfect score on the SAT, then went to the Citadel, graduated from the Citadel with a perfect 4.0 grade point average, and is now one of the most respected neurosurgeons in the country. Not one day in public school. And his father has written a book. His father, obviously a very Christian gentleman who I've had the pleasure of speaking to, his father wrote a book called Let My Children Go. wonder where that came from. Right. Well, I have to, I have to take a little exception to that, that word public school because it's, uh, it's, government school it's i i believe the the use of public school is a is a way using that term of course we all do it we've been trained to do it uh, but it's i think it's better said is it's just government school government well, socialist school well i like to turn uh, it on them and, and call them call it the public fool system the public yeah well, I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, I want to go back to what you were talking about earlier, Liz, was to, uh, uh, is about this idea of uh, when people say uh, thinking, or they, people, uh, they, they don't seem to be using any critical thinking skills or problem solving or reasoning, and uh, you know these, these general expressions. So my question is, Liz, how do you know if you're around anybody, whether they be our age or younger or children, how do you know if they're what we call thinking? How do we know if they're actually problem solving? What is it the one thing that they do if we, we can actually see and hear that they're thinking what is that thing that they're doing uh which is what we want to have happen uh here <laughs> okay <laughs> and Darryl, help them. Uh, we know that they're listening they've got their eyes on you or they're listening to the person yeah. that's delivering uh the information um mm -hmm. I, I know, like I had suggested, my friend, Phil and Mary, uh, he's a teacher and he, they homes, they didn't homeschool, but their daughter homeschools. And I was always so impressed. I mean, I've watched these kids grow up in the past 15 years that I've been here and they were always focused on the parents. They were focused on what they were saying and they... they they could have an adult conversation at like six years old. And it was like, it was so different from what I had grown up with and been subjected to through all the years that I was living in New Jersey and not in that kind of environment. So they definitely listened. 
and they they were self-disciplined. In other words, they would get up at six o'clock and start reading a book. You know, they didn't need to go look at the cartoons or whatever. It, it, it's a whole different personality that you don't generally come in contact with very much. I yield. That's a really good point. That's a really good point. It, it, when they're when they're listening and you can observe that and you can see that, <clears throat> that's that's really important if you're a teacher or instructor or a parent or you're just actually in communication with somebody. Okay. You want to know that you're being heard. And of course, uh, people of all ages, including children, where they can articulate or not want to know that they're being heard or recognized. Uh, what I found uh, over the years uh, during the time that I was a flight instructor and a, and a classroom instructor as well was I would gauge my success and my, my own self-critique and then gauge uh, the, the, uh, the people I was working with is by the quality if there were questions and the quality of the questions because people who are thinking critically problem solving or have an imagination and are being creative ask questions if they're not asking questions you're either doing a lousy job or they're not, or they're distracted by something else. Okay, all right. And so, uh, I always looked for questions and what kind of questions were being asked. And uh, uh, I think we overlooked that, and that's that's one of the reasons why we encourage participation here. I think that's, that's why we do it. Is that why we do it, Mike Cal? Yeah. Hey, uh, as someone as someone who is currently uh, teaching a whole classroom full of adults, not even the adults get it sometimes. And I agree with Daryl. If they're asking questions, then your message is getting across. But the education system failed us a lot of years ago. It wasn't something that's just current. Yeah. Well, um, I, I don't I don't very often do this, but uh, since we're on the topic and it seems relative, I'll I'll do a little disclosure on my own. Uh, I uh, I didn't do very well in school. Uh, at at any at any part of it except for English class and uh, track. Uh, track and field and English class, I did pretty good. Uh, wrestling was okay too. And the rest of it, you might as well have, you know, there's no reason for me to have been there. Uh, <clears throat> I left high school my freshman year and never went back. I didn't get a high school diploma. I went from there, and when I was old enough, I went in the military at the tail end of the Vietnam War. And after I got out of that, I went straight to work. 
And I realized very soon after I got into the, uh, the private world of working for my working, supporting myself, that, uh, there were some things I didn't know. So what I did is I taught myself. I went out and bought books. I bought the rest of the books, and I was sitting at home and sitting on my own. And right then with those, I went to college in Indianola, Iowa, and I went into their library store, and I bought their textbooks for geometry and trigonometry and algebra. And I studied and I taught myself. Because every time I tried to learn from a public fool teacher, uh, it was a test of wills. <laughs> it didn't work good. But I was highly motivated. And so I taught myself. And I became a lead man. Then I became a supervisor. And then I learned to fly. And I ultimately ended up being an airline pilot without a high school diploma. You don't need a, an, a, uh, you do not need a certificate of indoctrination to be competent. These are all excuses. And I just share with you what some people would consider to be an unflattering description of my educational background. And I will <clears throat> happily engage with any of these people at whatever level they want to engage at. All right. Uh, not that it's a contest, but you can teach yourself if you are motivated. And this is what the public fool system and, and, and the culture in general creates is unmotivated, uh, misdirected energy of, of everybody, for that matter, uh, particularly our children and, and school-age children. But for the society at large, they're misdirected and motivated in non-productive ways that won't serve them individually. And uh, these things are really important. Um, yeah. Um, so uh, I, I think ongoing self-education is uh, probably one of the most important things you can do for your whole life. And when you're when your children and the people around you see you doing that, uh, I think that sends a powerful message too. And so, so for everybody that does that, uh, you know, I'm proud of you. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so anyway, anyway, it's like um, you know, trying to uh, put someone between you and God. You know, I mean, that's what it boils down to. And that's why they want to do it. So you don't trust yourself to appeal to the highest. You know, you're not qualified. You have to go through someone else. Oh, an expert? Yeah. You expert. Need, you need an expert. 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 Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, see, so this is, this is what, uh, 
this is what Mike does is uh, all of his, you know, in his teaching and his source documents, his classes that he's done, all the articles he's wrote. How many thousands of articles have you written, Mike? Uh, all this stuff, even like these conversations, it's to explore uh, and bring it back to life and uh, <clears throat> it's to empower yourself again. And, uh, you know, I... I don't know. I, I've just never done anything that w when I was interested in it, I've always achieved everything I ever wanted to achieve after I became interested in it, but I had to be interested. Okay. I could fake that. So I don't need the support of experts or a large social network to reinforce their belief system in me that I'm okay. I'm, I'm okay. I, I don't need that. That's an individual. And that kind of individual is dangerous to groupthink. That kind of individual is dangerous to a social uh, identity. Why do they, why do you think they call it social media? So, hmm. anyway. When, when I was in grade school, I was, um, I got good, good grades in spelling because I had a good memory. <laughs> I still can't spell for because it all depends on my memory. And when it comes to the definition oh. of words, I used to have it. A, I used to have an employee, and uh, what he would do, I don't. I actually asked him about it one time because I could take any word out of the dictionary, or any word that I didn't understand the definition of, and I could say, "Hey, what does this mean, Brian?" And Brian would tell me, not because he knew the word, but he knew how to dissect the word. He knew whether it was German, English, French, etc., right? And he knew by the how that word was constructed, roughly what the meaning was. And he was always pretty much dead on. And he could spell it. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. He knew how to think. I knew how to memorize. And when you can do that thinking, you can problem solve. Uh, now, we have some people that have these photographic memories and can problem solve. So I'm, I'm a little bit jealous of that because I don't have that photographic memory like Mike does. Mike, Mike, has, a, Mike has a photographic memory. Come on, Mike, don't you? Come on. You do. You have photographic memory. Uh, uh, you know, as I tell people, I, I used to have a photographic memory, but I'm at a film now. So it, uh, <clears throat> if, if, you, if you know the construction of something, you can solve any problem. That's why it's important for children to, and all of us to know real math, real basic arithmetic. You can, you can problem solve with that. Uh, this is why you need to know real history because... You can problem solve with that. You can identify the contradictions. You 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 need to have proper grammar and be literate and be able to use a dictionary and a thesaurus because then you can problem solve and look for the definitions. What 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 is it? What has happened here, everybody? I got a question for you. What has happened here where uh, somebody, social media, government, or whoever? 
the, 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 the talking head is, can throw out the definition of a word and everybody just accepts it. When these words have sometimes a half a dozen or more definitions, what, can anybody answer that question? Why, why do people just accept that? Hmm. I guess, but that's not a good question. <laughs> because they've been taught to. Uh, yeah, we've been programmed. Uh, okay. We've been you taught know, to accept. You, you know, Michael, a, a, a wonderful place for your work would be in homeschool. Um, atmospheres well if i may let me uh, explain to you an example from that uh, of course we've lived a lot of places when we were living in new mexico northern new mexico and my wife was a principal on the navajo indian reservation when we were living there i had some folks contact me from the homeschooling association and they asked me if i would be willing to produce a history curriculum for them and I told them I would be more than happy to do so. Well, a few days later, I got an email from the lady who had asked me to do it. And she said, just forget our request, please. We cannot believe that you do not support President Bush. <laughs> Jeez. Well, there's a lot of organizations, and uh, you obviously didn't have a very good one. <laughs> well, that was obvious, too. And, uh, you know, it was uh, during the time of the Iraq War at the very beginning when all the lies had been perpetrated and filtered through. And so then the war starts, and, oh, well, we can't believe. We just can't believe that you don't support the president. The problem is when you try and educate the the students or the children of ignorant parents. Well, that's true, Jim. Yep. Valid point. Dad, government. Dad, gum, government. Get them, Roger. Roger Miller. And the non-ending television. <laughs> oh, the lobotomy box. Your own grandson he should have offered to give him a course for them. Repeating what you taught him? Yes, he did. He got in trouble, and then his mother and father blamed me for it. Don't teach that boy the truth. He gets in trouble. <laughs> Is he out You're of school yet? Uh, he actually begins his homeschooling, uh, but then uh, the homeschooling uh, deal <laughs> kind of fell through because... <laughs> Well, my uh, daughter and son-in-law decided that it would be better if he went to private school. So they are taking him out of the public school and they are placing him into a private school. They're missing it. They are missing it. I know yep. the only year I really remember the most was um, you know, I'd been sick, so I was taking two years correspondence with my grandmother, a retired teacher, right? Living up on Lookout Mountain in Georgia. And, uh, Ooh, yeah. Lookout yeah, Mountain. Uh-huh. Real life learning there, you know? And I, you know, if I was into a subject, I, I just, uh, okay, this is interesting. And I'd do two weeks worth, you know, whatever. And, and it's just, the, it was the best uh, atmosphere, you know? I mean, she was strict. <laughs> 
you know, but she walked her talk. Well, my daughter, uh, Mer, my daughter has said, and she said it openly to me, we're afraid, Dad, that what you teach him will not get him into a good college. There aren't any good colleges. Well, no such thing. What can you say? So, folks, I understand these dynamics very well. I'm living them on a regular basis. Yep. So I understand exactly what's going on because, uh, and I told people, uh, my daughter was just really, you know, somewhere in uh, high school, she was to the right of Attila the Hun. She went to college and she came out somewhere to the left of Hillary Clinton. Yikes. And your wife teaching math and you teach, I mean, ah, these people, you know, what they need is to see a barrage of people begging for that to happen in their family, right? So they realize right. what's missing. Right. Well, they're they're all fine and good with uh, my wife teaching uh, math. And that's a good thing because she does a great job with them and helping them with their math. I mean, hardly a week goes by that my wife doesn't get two or three FaceTime phone calls from our grandson wanting uh, my wife to his grams to help him through his uh math lessons but uh yes sir go ahead has your daughter read um john taylor gatto's book or uh charlotte Isserby's deliberate dumbing down of america well i gave her both of those i get i gave her both of those and i also gave her crimes of the educators wow and uh i i couldn't tell you if she's read them uh but still uh you know like they told me Oh, we want Fox to get in a really good college. And I said, yeah, well, where you, where do you find those? Exactly. But they that is their belief. And here's the thing, guys. I am not going to get into, because at one point in time, this caused a split with me and my daughter and my son-in-law. And I'm, because I, I stood firmly against what was being taught to my grandson. And so then they didn't speak to me for quite some time. I'm not going through that again. Yep. It's it's hell out there, ain't it? Well, the biggest biggest national resource we've got locked away. It's not coal. It's not oil. It's not natural gas. It's not gold. It's the minds of all these people who could be individuals and think for themselves and change this mess. Well, guys, I am continually brought back to the words of Marcus Tullius Cicero. And he said that a people who are not knowledgeable of their own past will be forever children. Look around you. Bingo. That's why it's so important to keep the family split up, you know, and make it seem as if the father's not essential like he is, you know. Well, they were able to accomplish that with the welfare system, and they knew it because I remember, oh, gosh, what was his name uh, who used to do the weekly shows? Uh, Paul. Uh, Paul Harvey. Uh, no, what, Paul Harvey. And I remember him in the 60s coming out with this during this time of the uh, civil rights and everything else, and he said, the problem I see that we're going to achieve or the thing that I think that's bad that we're going to achieve with this integration and all of this other stuff 
is the fact that instead of raising the black student learning to the to the level of the white, we will take the white and drag them down to the black. Well, it's the same thing they did in the so-called Civil War. Mm -hmm. Everybody slaves. Yeah. And that's well, the intention. <laughs> the crazy the crazy thing about it, what my grandson got in trouble with was his teacher, his history teacher, social studies, I'm sorry, they don't teach history. His social studies teacher told the class that every founding father was a slave owner. And he he, he asked me about that and I said, No, that's incorrect. So I gave him the name of some founders who were not slave owners luther martin being one and he went back to school and she made the statement uh, probably the next day and he challenged her on it and said no i'm afraid you're wrong because you know uh and i didn't just tell him i actually showed him source documents to prove it and uh she got really angry and from that point on she told the students now she happened to be black but she told the students from that point on, there would be no questions in her classroom. She would give the subject matter and they would have it on a test and there would be no questions. Of course, now they have a sandbox for furries. So what can I say? She probably uses it. You just accurately described an indoctrination center, Mike. Oh yes, exactly. That's what I tried to tell. That's what I tried to tell, tell them, and they, you know, uh, tried to tell my uh, daughter and son-in-law, and it's oh well, 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 you know, oh well, you know, we want him to get into a good college. Okay, yeah, well, there's people in hell want nice water too. Sounds like that social studies teacher was trained the same way Rosa Parks was. <laughs> Pardon me. Yes, it, it, it is so very sad. And just to throw in a little levity here, Jim, did you hear that? Uh, at least I was told. I haven't seen him say it, but I was told this morning in a phone call that uh, there's even a YouTube on it that... Uh, Trump says if he's reelected in 2024, he's going to bring out bring back capital punishment by the guillotine. <laughs> that wouldn't surprise me. The no hide laws. Yes. Good grief. How about capital punishment by vaccination? He's already well, they've got already that gotten that one. It was called Fast and Furious. I'm not Fast and Furious. It was Warp called Operation Speed. Warp Speed. Yep. How many different kinds of capital punishment is he going to have? Oh, you know, I uh, just, I know I'm throwing it off subject here, Jim, but I did want to run this one by you. I was looking back at uh, Janet Napolitano when she was with Homeland <laughs> Security, mm -hmm. and she, she published a paper that said that over 70% of the guns used in crimes in America came from Americans, you know, and, and that the uh, cartels had all of these guns from the, uh, uh, that they had gotten from American citizens. Yeah, most and, likely gun uh, shows and that kind of thing. Yeah, and so then later, <clears throat> then later the government implements Fast and Furious. <laughs> yeah, 
I'm just looking well, at a uh, Uncle Reno poster that I've got here on my uh, uh, cabinet next to my computer, or next to my station here. <laughs> Old J Uncle Janet with her little uh, uh, Uncle Sam hat on and ATF on one side and FBI on the other. Well, Looking. how many people know that the uh, uh, Operation Fast and Furious was actually initially implemented by George W. Bush, and it was called Operation Wide Receiver? Ooh. And then Ayo Kamathi was in on it. Yes, he was. Yeah. Very much so. But he's changed, Mur. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's what Gahari says. You know, it's interesting with these with these live streams how you can kind of get a flavor for a person's personality when they put them down low so they're like looking down at you condescending. <laughs> you know, that's kind of a clue. Uh, who was it? Uh, what the, what was his name? Uh, Pry Peter Benson Pry died in August, I guess. And he and Wolsey have an EMP. Uh, outfit right so whenever anything possibly might be an emp they're 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 full on right and he would sit in this log cabin you can see the logs behind him but he had it you know the camera looking up from down by, by like his knees looking at him all solemn and sober and you know and the logs in the background as if as if he it's not known where he is right <laughs> anyway oh well Oh, wait a minute. Here we go. Let me see if I can get this to Defeating play. Defeating a criminal oh, who tries to attack we got you the, is surprisingly uh, simple. You just need to follow the... Uh, wait, just skip ads. You're going to like this. So we're just a couple of months into Trump's 2024 presidential campaign, and it doesn't really seem like he's thinking of ways to help the American people in the event he's able to win a second term. Instead, he is cooking up new and creative ways to kill American citizens if he's elected again. Literally. So this isn't the first report that we've gotten about his authoritarian plans for a second term. But basically, he wants to expand the death penalty, bring back arguably more barbaric ways to kill Americans, and on top of that, possibly make public executions a thing comparable to Saudi Arabia, perhaps? It's deeply chilling, but, I mean, it's not surprising because this is Donald Trump who we're talking about. So, the story comes from Rolling Stone magazine, who spoke with three sources close to Trump on the condition of anonymity, and here's what they say. Quote, the former president, if reelected, is still committed to expanding the use of the federal death penalty and bringing back banned methods of execution, the sources say. He has even, one of the sources recounts, mused about television footage of executions, including showing condemned prisoners in the final moments of their lives. Specifically, Trump has talked about bringing back death by firing squad, by hanging, and according to two of the sources, possibly even by guillotine. He has also, sources say, discussed group executions. Trump has floated these ideas while discussing planned campaign rhetoric and policy desires, as well as his disdain for President Biden's approach to crime. In at least one instance late last year, according to the third source, who has direct knowledge of the matter, Trump privately mused about the possibility of creating a flat 
flashy government-backed video ad campaign that would accompany a federal revival of these execution methods. In Trump's vision, these videos would include footage from these new executions, if not from the exact moments of death. The former president believes this would help put the fear of God into violent criminals, this source says. He wanted to do some of these things when he was in office, but for whatever reasons, didn't have the chance. Hmm. Interesting. So, based on that, it seems logical to deduce that he's very heavily leaning towards public executions as a form of deterrent. I'm going to stop it there, but uh, I wonder if that would also apply to the uh, current Congress and the former members and former Speaker of the House and people like uh, Fauci and uh, Tedros and Gates and maybe even Trump himself with Operation Warp Speed. Well, Jim, I was I was uh, thinking as that was going on, I might jump on board with him if the first people he uh, executed publicly were the members of his cabinet. Yeah, <laughs> well, let's make a party of all of it. And I, the the group uh, executions, I think. Yeah, there you go. Let's bring them all up there. I tell yeah. you what, let's do that instead of Monday night football. Hmm, sounds like a plan to me. <laughs> Funny how you say that. You know. Uh, uh, near the end of his first um, term, he was talking about this, or it was alluded to that he would be doing this to the traitors, right? But I, I, I kept thinking, too, when we were talking about the education, the project, Prussian education system, uh, uh, Clara uh, St. Louis did a lot of in-depth stuff on that. And um, interesting thing, you know, in the uh, uh, French Revolution, I'm jumping around here a little bit, but it kind of ties together. The French Revolution, which we know apparently Ben Moses helped get the 31 million to bankrupt France for their revolution, right? Which same people were behind all the revolutions and wars, right? But it turns out, you know, they would have these guillotine things and the populace would watch. There's a strange euphoria that's released mm -hmm. when people watch beheadings. So it's, they, they want to do that again. Remember the Trading with the Enemies Act. We're all, we're all enemies now. Sedition Act 1917 still in effect. Chop, chop here. Uh, chop, chop I here. would vote for everybody who goes to the Wailing Wall that says they want to represent this country are under the pain of death. And uh, that would include Trump. Well, how about, don't stop there. How about everybody that lives there by the so-called Wailing Wall? How about that? <laughs> Oh, you're really talking mass ex executions here. How did we get to this subject? I caused it. <laughs> uh, hey, those guillotines have been sitting. We're down in Georgia, right? Yeah. Yep. They must yeah, be I, rusty. They want to use them, you know? I got them behind the house here. Um, <laughs> the uh, Jim, I got to tell you, I was thinking about you this morning, buddy. It just popped into my head. I was doing something I love to do while I think, and that is called clean my weapons <laughs> and so i opened a box i hadn't opened in a long time and in that box was a brand new never fired just absolutely gorgeous colt 45 in stainless steel Ooh, I've got one would you like would you safe. like me to send you a picture <laughs> yeah <laughs> I've got one that my dad got for me. It's a Battle of the Bulge commemorative. Ooh. To the German commander, nuts. 
I've got a World War II and a Pacific Theater commemorative Colt 45. Ooh, goodness gracious. Yeah, I'm going to take mine out and shoot it one of these days. I just haven't gotten around to it yet. <laughs> Hopefully, the last round I fire in the war from the next war for independence will be from that Colt. <laughs> well, Mike, is, Let's, is, go is ahead. that a wheel gun? Is that uh, a wheel gun? No, it yeah. is a uh, 45 ACP. Okay. I wish it. Yeah, I don't think they make the uh, peacemakers in stainless, but that would be kind of pretty if they did. Oh, it would be. Man. Yeah, yeah I've got I a peacemaker in 45 LC. Yeah, I would love to have one of those. Uh, I also have a, a uh, what What did they call it again? I'm having problems with it. The one that uh, Jesse James preferred. Oh, the uh, Schofield? Schofield. Schofield, yeah. Schofield. also have a Schofield, Jim. Ooh, goodness. That's cool. I've seen them, but I ain't got one. <laughs> <laughs> They are perfect. Well, they were referred to as a hog leg. Hog leg. Yep. Yep. And they yeah. preferred them because they could reload them while riding. Mm -hmm. yeah, that, that's another thing that uh, insults from our country that Battle of the Bulge would have never happened if they would have allowed uh, Patton to Patton. close the Flays Gap and get yep. the people and the equipment. Yep. Yep. And he had written to his wife and said that he planned on exposing that to the American people as well. And, uh-oh, automobile accident. Yep. Preferred well, method back then. Yeah. Yep. That goes along, that goes along with uh, one of my latest books that arrived in the mail today. Uh, or, yet, or this week. It's called The Delivery to Stalin of Over 2 Million Russians by Britain and the United States. It's called The Last Secret. And it it uh, it details uh, Operation Keelhaul and all yep. the rest of them. There was just yep. millions of people, uh, millions of people that were sent to the uh, the gallows by uh, that wonderful uh, uh, British uh, Parliament and uh, United States Congress and all those wonderful people. So, thank you. Yep. Absolutely. You know, Mike, uh, my last. Uh, when I was the last uh, time I went, when I was on duty at the police department, the last gun I carried was a stainless 1911. Mm. That was my carry gun, except when I was uh, riding a bicycle. Then I had a Smith and Wesson Sigmund in 40 cal because it was 16 rounds plus two extra mags. Couldn't carry oh, a shotgun four. on a truck on a bike very easily. <laughs> 40 short and weak. Yeah, they do the trick though. <laughs> yeah. Well, we've got about 20 seconds before the end of the show. Anybody got any last things they want to throw in? I love y'all. Right back at you, brother. Whew. And I'm looking forward. I'm still uh, checking things out for April 1st down at uh, Traveler's Rest. So oh, but yeah, I hope you can make hopefully that. Hopefully I'll be able to make it down there. If the weather's good and everything, I'll fire up the car and take a drive. <laughs> but well, it's, you have to renew your citizenship. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. And hey, hey Mike, this yes, is Gary. Did you, did you check your mail? Yes, sir. I sent you an email and told you thanks. Oh, well, I, okay. <laughs> I got to check my email more often, maybe. <laughs> well, I appreciate right. it, buddy. Thank you so much. All right. You're thank, welcome. Thank everyone for me, please. Oh, certainly. 
All righty. And with that, we are out of time. I want to thank uh, Mike and Cal and DW and everybody else who's been here today. Uh, it's been a great show as always and looking forward to the next one. We will be back live Monday, same bat time, same bat channel, and all you guys in the chat, join us then, too. Take care. Everybody have a wonderful weekend, and take care of your bodies, because it's the only place you have to live. We'll see you soon. God bless. <laughs> <laughs>